Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk MedTech, the premier podcast for the medical device and diagnostic industry. My name is Omar Ford, and I'm the managing editor of MDDI, an online publication owned by Informa. Listen, we've got an exciting episode coming up. We're talking to Dr. Koshik Bomik, EY America's leader for health technology. And we're discussing how healthcare organizations are navigating the great resignation and how these organizations are preparing for ransomware and cybersecurity attacks in this digital age of healthcare. We're also going to find out all about EY's digital twin technology strategy. If you've ever heard or enjoyed or listened to an episode of Let's Talk MedTech featuring EY, then you know you're in for a real treat. I'm so incredibly excited about this episode. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to dive right in. So let's talk MedTech with Dr. Koshik Bomik. Well, Koshik, thanks for coming on to Let's Talk MedTech. I really appreciate you joining us for this episode. I'm pleasure to be here, Omar. Yeah, we've got so much to talk about today, namely the impact of COVID-19 and, and how it's affected the healthcare system, the existing gaps in digital care and leveraging. But before that, I, I want to talk a little bit about you and your background and your role in healthcare, your career. Sure. Thank you, Omar, and, and pleasure to be with you today. Uh, so I'm Koshik Bomek. Uh, I am the health technology leader for the Americas. Uh, at Ernst & Young. I'm a partner here uh, based in San Francisco. Uh, I have been uh, with Ernst & Young just briefly for about six months, but I have a pretty long career uh, in technology services, particularly as it relates to healthcare. Uh, I started my career uh, you know, almost 30 years ago now at, at McKinsey, uh, and then I was uh, at uh, Cognizant uh, for many years, a, a leading IT services outsourcing firm where I ran the healthcare business, which was their largest business, uh, where we did a lot of work for both payers and providers on their technology systems uh, and services to, to run their, their mid and back office, if you will, all the plumbing uh, that goes on inside a, a health system as well as the health insurer. So uh, I, I came to EY because uh, there's an exciting set of opportunities uh, in the health uh, landscape uh, that I think EY is very uh, well positioned to to move on. Yeah. So with your background, you've been, you know, you've been on the ground with, with a lot of healthcare facilities in, in healthcare. But let's talk about some of the things that healthcare organiza organizations are dealing with now. And one of those is navigating the great resignation. Let's get a scope of the problem and, and how are organizations handling it? It, it's it's been an incredible challenge, uh, Omar. Obviously, uh, when COVID hit uh, in early 2020, uh, you know the health system really uh, was not ready for it because our healthcare system in the U.S. Uh, in particular was designed for short-term episodes, not these continuous periods of crisis uh, that and like a pandemic uh, really entails, and so. We've seen a tremendous uh, degree of burnout uh, by both doctors and physicians and all kinds of support staff in healthcare, uh, and and couple that with an aging nursing population. Nursing is is a profession uh, that uh, has as a higher that skews higher on the age category, mm -hmm. uh, and seeing a lot of them uh, drop out uh, as a result of this. So. You know, in the end of the day, the, the, the healthcare profession is a, a service profession uh, and it needs 
highly qualified, highly energized people uh, to, to, uh, and professionals to execute what they do. Uh, but clearly, the, the pandemic has taken a, a tremendous toll on the industry uh, that it's only now uh, trying to recover from. But it's going to take time, uh, right? It's going to take time to recover from this. Uh, we're going to need new talent. We're going to need new ways of doing things uh, in order to sustain uh, and, and make the health outcomes uh, for the population a lot better. I know even before the pandemic, I remember being at a conference, I think it was Cleveland Clinic. I was at their innovation summit one year and they were just talking about physician burnout and, and the long reports. And they were talking about um, how nurses were 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 dealing, uh, nurses and clinicians were, were just dealing with the burnout back then. And that was a couple of years before COVID. And I'm wondering now, well, I'm not wondering, but I'm seeing now you put the extra strain of the pandemic on where they're just extra hours. Um, the hospitals and healthcare settings are flooded. You know, it, it's gotten it's probably gotten to people to their breaking points, uh, you, you know, with this. It, it absolutely has. And, you know, one of the, the biggest challenges, Omar, uh, that is in the health uh, system of the U.S. Uh, that has been there even before COVID, is the efficiency of the uh, of the contact between the nurses and doctors and their patients. Uh, there is a lot of complex process and technology uh, that these uh, these health professionals have to navigate. At any time, I'm sure we anybody who's ever gone in for a health visit. You know, they'll see that their doctor has to spend a lot of time with upfront paperwork and just <laughs> typing in data into the electronic health record when they really should be spending that time talking to that patient, understanding their health needs, doing the physical, you know, doing the diagnostics. And so this has been a complaint of the health system for many, many years now that the overhead of process and technology really detracts from the actual health delivery. And that, you know, there, we should have a, a very concerted effort uh, as a society to make that a lot simpler, right, with, with better technology, with more efficient process, uh, so that the health professionals don't get burned out with all this, this overhead activity. It's necessary activity. Obviously, yeah. we want yeah. proper documentation. We want accuracy. But when that becomes half the visit, you know something is wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've, I've just got to share this really quick. I, I had a um, a checkup a few months ago, and it was a it was a telemedicine visit, uh, a televisit, I guess, telehealth visit, and I talked to my doctor for about thirty minutes straight, and that is the longest I've ever spoken to my doctor, to my physician before. You know, uh, prior to that, it was okay. I'm coming in for about five or six minutes. But just to have a 30 minute conversation with my physician one on one, that was amazing. I never had that before. And, and you know, you hit upon a great thing to telemedicine. Uh, that's one of the, uh, the positive features about it that yeah. both patients and doctors say is that it's more quality time. Right. You're, because, you know, a lot of the upfront, you know, diagnostic, you know, collecting information has been done. So the doc, you and the you know, the patient and the doctor can just kind of jump right into it. What's on their mind? Uh, have a deeper conversation about your health. And I think that's you know if if there's one silver lining to come out of COVID is that the comfort level with telemedicine 
uh, has grown exponentially, right? Before COVID, telemedicine was there, right? There, there were lots of hospitals trying it out, but it was a, it was a tiny experiment for the most part. But the, the, the pandemic just kind of forced it on society. And a lot of people realized, hey, you know, this isn't too bad. I could actually get some really uh, quick answers, some some quick, uh, you know, uh, you know, interaction with my physician and get some answers to my my health issues uh, and get on with my day. Uh, and, and the doctors liked it, too, because it, it, it well done well. Uh, it is a very efficient use of their time as well. So that's something that I think is going to persist and really help the system overall. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about some of the digital care that healthcare facilities and hospitals are giving right now. And what are some of the biggest gaps uh, as you see them? Yeah, so, you know, it starts a lot with with just the, you know, having a connection with the patient digitally. I think more, you know, our society uh, is very comfortable now doing all kinds of transactions uh, you know, through their through their phone, right? Whether yeah. it's your banking or your retail with Amazon and so forth, but that's it's still very hard to do that uh, with your healthcare, right? Just getting access to your records, your lab tests, those types of things. A lot of health systems now are recognizing they need to provide that, right? They need a, a nice, simple interface for people to engage with their health more more readily, and so that's that's developing, and I think that's. That's an area of investment for all these large health systems and hospitals uh, that they're trying to do is to, to provide that information. Just here's your health. Here's what's going on with your health. Uh, and here's who you could contact uh, if you want you know, further questions you know, answered and so on and so forth. So I think that's one area of investment that we're seeing a lot of our, our clients uh, undertake. Uh, the second area of investment is that because of the, the point uh, around telemedicine, right? Now, as a patient, uh, you interact with your health in a variety of different ways, right? So you may have a telemedicine visit with your doctor or some specialist. You may actually go into the, the hospital for an actual physical and, and, and labs. You go into a lab for, for lab tests and so forth. You may go to your pharmacy uh, for blood pressure checks, for uh, you know, for your medication and so forth. So all these different touch points uh, are not integrated, right? There isn't a common view of you as the patient. Here's what happened from that lab visit. Here's what happened from that pharmacy visit. And so there's a growing need to have that integrated view of you as the patient. Here's what's going on with your help. Here's and for all these different participants in your health, all these caregivers. Uh, to have an understanding of what's going on from all these different touch points. And so this is a problem that's often referred to as care coordination. And mm -hmm. the idea is to really coordinate and make sure that your, your health care is seamless and it makes sense, right? A lot of people complain uh, oftentimes with their health that they don't understand why do I need this test? Why do I need this lab? Why do I need this drug? You know, it, they're, they're, and it's because things are so disjointed. Uh, and so to get rid of that disjointed nature, you know, there's a lot of technology uh, that's being invested in uh, to provide a much more seamless interface that you could track on your phone. Right. So you could you could get, you know, texts and messages saying now you need to go see your 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 specialist. Uh, now you need to go see your pharmacist. And and it makes sense from a comprehensive perspective as a patient. You know, you bring up um, an important point, and I've heard this echoed several times. You know, we can do anything almost from 
you know, from our phones, from our cell phones, we can check our banking, you know, we can order food. Uh, but healthcare seems to be one thing that's lacking, just the ability to to do things related to to our health. One of the most important things, if not the most important thing, you know, in our lives. I, I'm wondering if you had any insight on just why are we lagging behind in healthcare when it comes to this integration, uh, uh, when it comes to to just the digital scape? Why are we so behind in this compared to other industries? J- just looking for your opinion on that or your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, I think it starts because most people interact with the health system when they're sick, right? The, the vast majority of people go about their day uh, and, you know, if they're if they're healthy, you know, they don't think about it. Right. Uh, and so there's not a need to interact with your physician or health system or health insurer on a day to day basis, unlike, you know, ordering food or, you know, checking your bank account or stocks or things like where you have a more f- higher frequency uh, of interaction. So it's kind of starts with that problem. But let's set that aside. You know, more and more people do care about their health. Uh, you're seeing the tech companies like Apple and Google with the, you know, the smart watches and so forth, where people want to track their health more, which is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The more we do that, you know, the more we can, uh, you know, nip problems in the bud before they happen. Uh, so I think that is, you know, the technology is getting there uh, with the wearables, with the the mobile devices for people to track their health on a more regular basis. But then comes the, this problem uh, of the technology. The technology in healthcare is very disjointed. It's it's a vast waterfront of, you know, you have technology for the electronic health records, you have different technology for the labs, you have different technology for physical therapists, uh, and very disjointed, uh, doesn't communicate well with each other. Uh, and so it's hard to get data uh, and patient data and information flowing to happen m- more seamlessly. And I think this is a this is a a broad industry problem. There's no one player uh, that holds all the cards, but the industry now is under a lot more pressure uh, yeah. from both the government and then more importantly from their patients who are saying, "Look, I want to be able to navigate my experience, my health experience more seamlessly." And so, I think you're starting to see leading health systems respond to that, to allow people to interact with their health more seamlessly, uh, to have those different touch points, to have that availability of information more readily so that they they can interact with their health. Sure. Understood. Understood. But now I pose this question to you, but with all the the digital advances and and everything that's that will be coming in the healthcare facilities now, are these healthcare facilities and hospitals prepared for the increased ransomware and cybersecurity attacks that come along with that? And how are, are some of the facilities handling cybersecurity? It's a great point. No, and then the short answer is no, they're not, right? With, yeah. If you're going to interact with your, your patients and your population more digitally, which is what we want, you need to be ready for to have an infrastructure that can support that. And, you know, health systems... Uh, infrastructure for, you know, security and technology tends to be on the lighter side, right? They, they tend to spend their money on care and those types of things, right, which are important, but that often needs, leaves less money uh, for those kind of infrastructure investments. So I think that's something where, you know, we as EY, we, we work with a number of our clients uh, on the cyber front to help, you know, to, to guard 
uh, you know, patient information uh, to make sure that the only the right kind of information moves between different care providers. The, the, you know, everybody might be familiar with HIPAA, which is you know the government mandates in terms of healthcare information portability and security. Uh, but there's a lot that goes into to enforcing that and, and making sure that only the right people have the right kind of access, that personally identifiable information is stripped out and so forth. So that is a lot of uh, work on the technology front uh, that needs to happen, that does happen uh, in terms of preventing, you know, bad actors from, from, you know, taking advantage of the system, taking advantage of patient records. There have been, you know, notable hacks in the industry of, of patient records and so forth. Uh, and, uh, you know, a, the, a lot of scrutiny goes into that. You know, the good news is that there's a general awareness by the large technology providers that this is a big issue. So they try to design their solutions with that in mind, that noticing that that security is paramount, patient confidentiality is paramount. And so they need to design their technology in such a way uh, that that is addressed uh, throughout. Uh, and so I think, you know, through the cooperation uh, of leading technology companies, services firms such as ourselves, as well as the, you know, the end clients, you know, the, the hospitals and systems, you know, I think we'll be able to build a robust system uh, to make sure that those kind of big, uh, you know, breaches don't happen. But when they do happen, you know, the best thing to do is to deal with it forcefully and fast uh, and reassure the patient with respect to their information and, and you know, what uh, what is being done to address the problem. Koshik, this conversation is incredible. This is uh, just so much great information and content that we're learning. Wow, I'm blown away. But I want to take a minute to take a brief pause and talk a little bit about what are what are people's plans for April 12th through the 14th? I know what mine are. I'm going to be at the Anaheim Convention Center for MD&M West. Yes, that's right. MD&M West is returning to the Anaheim Convention Center. And MD&M West brings together medtech engineers, business leaders, disruptive companies, and innovative thinkers to create powerful solutions and life-changing medical devices. You'll find out all about the latest innovation. There's some great networking activities there too. It's such an amazing time and event. And it's all going down at the Anaheim Convention Center, April 12th through the 14th. Now, if you want to find out more information about MDM West, you can find out by going to mdmwest.com. That's mdmwest.com. Dot com. That's where you can find out all the information about the event. I'll be there and look forward to seeing you there to, as well. Now, back to our conversation with Koshik. I want to discuss now, I want to talk a little bit about um, health inequity across socioeconomic statuses. I, I want to understand that a little bit better, and I want to know what we're seeing, and, and is there a way to combat that, or is there a way to deal with that? There is. And, and, you know, I think what, what, what I've been very gratified to see is a, a broader awareness and action around this. So it comes down to the quality of the healthcare you get depends too often, sadly, on the zip code you live in. Yes. Uh, and, and, and so to combat that, right, you want to be able to understand, A, to have 
good care facilities in underserved communities, right? Uh, and, you know, improve the quality of safety net hospitals uh, in general. And, and we at EY, we've been involved with, with quite a few safety net hospitals in terms of improving uh, the quality of their care, their access to care and so forth. But this is where digital technology can play a very meaningful role, right? In terms of providing that access to care, being able to provide that engagement with patients and people in underserved communities uh, through technology, right? So that they can monitor uh, their health more readily. There are other facilities beyond just the hospital that, you know, there are, you know, non-acute facilities, uh, schools and so forth mm -hmm. who can participate uh, and provide care. We saw this obviously with the vaccine rollout that there were a lot of, uh, you know, you know, you know, adjustments made uh, to make sure that vaccines were available uh, to everyone everywhere. And, you know, and that there was a broad distribution network to do so. I think we're going to see leverage of that distribution network for other aspects of, of public care uh, that we want to have. So it starts with having, A, the right kind of data and understanding of health inequity. What is that, you know, underserved zip code? What does that population look like? What tend to be the big health issues that they encounter uh, on a broad basis. How how are those health issues driven? Is it driven by you know economic insecurity, food insecurity, those types of things? But then to have those action plans to engage with that community beyond just the hospital, but with other points of contact in the, inside the community, whether it's government facilities and so forth, to enable you know for people to access uh, better care, right? Whether it's ongoing care. Uh, whether it's issues relating to a, like a pandemic, uh, whether it's issues related to health, uh, excuse me, food insecurity, all those types of things. So I think, and all of that happens with a deep understanding of the data uh, and and the and the and the population. And I think we've come a long way in understanding where the uh, the problems reside. Now we have to move on those actions to address those. No, it, yeah, I, I totally agree. You know. Uh, my mother lives in uh, it lives in rural South Carolina, and for the last uh, I don't know however many years now, they've been without a hospital, and my mother's on uh, my mother's on oxygen. So it is a very uh, it's 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 just a very tumultuous thing at, at times. I, I can remember going to visit her and one time rushing her to the um, uh, to an emergency room. Uh, about 45 minutes away, <laughs> you know, wow. uh, yeah. South Carolina, you know, whereas the old hospital, when it was functioning, it was right up the street, but I had to drive 45 minutes away. Uh, I'm, you know, with my mom and, you know, she's in the back just panicking and everything, but, but it goes to what you're saying. You shouldn't be punished or penalized for your health because of your zip code. You should get quality care uh, everywhere that, that you're, you're located. So yeah, I see that. Completely agree. Completely agree. All right. Now I, I'm wondering if we can transition and talk a little bit about the digital twin technology. I'm not really familiar with it. Um, so could you break that down for us and, and talk about it and how it could possibly impact healthcare? Sure. So you know, this is an, uh, an area of investment inside of EY that we've made over the past several years, and, and we're seeing some great benefits for our clients. So the whole idea is to take, you know, there's a lot of data in healthcare, right? There's, there's a lot yeah. of patient data, 
which obviously we want to treat, you know, with with a lot of, you know, uh, careful hands. Uh, there's claims data from the insurers. Uh, there's clinical data from drug trials and so forth. So the whole idea is how do we take all this different data that relates to certain kinds of, you know, people and populations and so forth and create sort of what's this idea of a a patient twin, right? That that there's this, we can create a digital version of you uh, or a group of people like you who who have, you know, you know, sort of similar uh, profiles, who have sort of similar biological characteristics to be able to better address some of the health problems, right? So to, to apply predictive analytics to say, folks, uh, with, you know, with, with these types of health issues, you know, this is how you want to engage with them early on. So p- people who are pre-diabetic, you know, identifying those people early uh, and say, okay, if you're pre-diabetic, that is, you know, you have a high probability of becoming diabetic. Here's how you can pr- lower that probability, right? In terms of your diet, uh, in terms of things you could do with exercise and health and so forth. And so the digital health tech, uh, uh, excuse me, the digital patient twin technology uh, helps in in doing exactly that, right? It collects all this data. It creates sort of this digital patient twin model for different populations and people so that health systems, drug companies, and so forth can use their predictive models to say, okay, for this type of population, this is how we can proactively engage with them and provide a, a higher degree of personalization, uh, both in terms of medicine and in terms of experiences uh, to create a, a more standard you know, care protocol in terms of how this group of people should be cared for to prevent more serious disease uh, from coming on. And so it's, 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 you know, it's very heady stuff. There's a lot of uh, data technology that's required in order to, to normalize data, to make it relevant. Uh, there's data that comes in from sensors and, and, and things along those lines as well. But we've been very successfully applying it uh, in, in several instances uh, with, with both the drug companies who, who want to you know, kind of test out their, their future drugs on populations uh, sure. and see whether they'll, they'll work or not. Uh, we're seeing it with health systems who want to try out new care protocols as well, without having to recruit uh, a bunch of actual people to do so, right? Without having to recruit thousands of people uh, for both drug trials as well as care protocol trials. Uh, and so that, I think, uh, will help the system more broadly in terms of trying out new things more economically uh, and therefore bringing things to, to, to patients faster uh, that do work. That's amazing. That's amazing. And it, it would seem as if the the word of the day is data and meaningful data, uh, you know, meaningful data, uh, I guess two words, really. But uh, we're seeing the importance of patient data. And I remember a few years ago, uh, just hearing talks about, oh, we're going to be inundated with data. Yes, data is a good thing. But now we're seeing models that are being used. We're seeing things that are fine-tuned, and we're seeing data being used in a way that it can give uh, better outcomes for patients. And it's not just overwhelming everyone. Not It's not overwhelming the physicians and the clinicians and the stakeholders and the key opinion leaders. You're right, Omar. It's been a holy grail of health and, and medicine to have this idea of personalized medicine, that you, yeah. as a single patient, your health is unique, right? And, and you know, your, your background, 
your biology, everything is is unique to you. And therefore, the health care that you receive, the, 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 the drugs you received, uh, the exercise regimen, all of that has to be unique to you, right? And, and your circumstances and, and so forth. And so that's where we're trying to get to, right? Where each patient, you know, we're not just using a broad swab to kind of treat patients, but we really take to the individuality of the patient uh, is center uh, and we build our healthcare and the care protocols and everything else uh, unique to that person. And I think digital patient twin technology uh, is, is getting us there. Yeah, uh, agree. It'll be interesting to see ultimately uh, where this uh, ends up. But Kashi, thanks for coming on to Let's Talk MedTech. I really, really appreciate you coming out here. And this was an awesome conversation. It was my pleasure, Omar. Great speaking with you.